Amen. We have been so blessed over the course of the season uh, with such marvelous music, uh, such joyful services. I hope you've been able to be here through Advent and through as we move into Christmas for some of our Advent services, for some of the special things that we have done, the service of lessons and carols a couple of weeks ago, the marvelous Christmas candlelight concert. Uh, Some of us went Christmas caroling just a couple of nights ago. And a couple of weeks ago, we had our Christmas pageant during the Sunday school hour. I happen to love Christmas pageants. I love the opportunity to see the story told again because it's always new and it's always different. And I love to see families come together to do that. And you love to see children involved, whether they are angels or shepherds or Mary or Joseph or, or however it's done. I just, I really enjoy Christmas pageants. And I love the one we did here a couple of weeks ago. But I got to be honest with you. It is not the one that will always stay in my mind as most memorable. Let me tell you about the one that for me is my most memorable Christmas pageant ever. It was a little better than 30 years ago. Right up the road, north side of Fayette County, Bethany Methodist Church. I was in college at the time. I was working as a youth director, working with their children some. And at Christmas, one of their traditions was a Christmas pageant. Now, I didn't have a lot of responsibility. The parents did most of it. But for practice, my big job was I was the bouncer. When the kids got out of line, my job was to bring them back to wherever they were supposed to be. Once you get past about fifth grade, my uh, uh, effectiveness as a bouncer is questionable. But, you know, from about fifth grade down, I was okay. So that was my job during practice. But during the actual pageant itself, I had two or three things I had to do. The night of the pageant, I started off on the front row. We were in the sanctuary. It had been transformed into a manger. There was a star hanging in the choir loft. There were some angels, uh, there were some animals that had been made and were, were propped up. And then I noticed that down front, in front of the manger, there was like a car seat with, I assume, you know, a nice plastic baby doll Jesus. But I'm on the front pew, and the time comes. And so I stand up, and I turn around, and I welcome the crowd. I say an opening prayer. And then I turn and kind of take a step towards the door where I will invite the children to come in. And that's all I have to do. So when I turn and take that step, I notice... Everybody in the congregation, like they had practiced it, they all put their hands over their mouth and gasped in unison. And I thought, what, what's, all I did was turn and take a step. Was there like a real life sheep in here and am I, am I about to step in something I don't need to step in? I mean, I didn't know what the issue was. But then when I looked down, I realized my foot was right by the car seat with the plastic baby doll Jesus. And again, I'm thinking, what's the big deal? So I looked down and I realized, It was not a plastic baby doll, Jesus. It was a real, live, living, breathing, soundly sleeping baby. Nobody told me. Nowhere in my instructions did it say, don't step on the baby. Uh, So the only person I noticed who didn't seem to react was the mom of the child. And later I said, you didn't seem phased by that. And she said something that I didn't understand in the moment. But now as the father of three, I kind of get it. She said, she's the third kid. (laughs) 
that's the Christmas pageant I will most remember. Now, fast forward a year from there, I was in seminary at Emory, and I was talking to a buddy, and we were coming up on Christmas, and I was telling him that story, because I thought it was kind of cute and funny. Uh, so I told him this story about my most memorable Christmas pageant. Never even cracked a smile. He said to me, churches should never do Christmas pageants. He apparently had a theological object, objection to churches doing Christmas pageants, which I didn't even know was possible. He said, churches should never do Christmas pageants. I said, good heavens, why not? He said, because nothing we do in the comfort of our sanctuary or our fellowship hall or our gym with our heat or our air conditioning and, our, and all that, nothing we do can ever compare to the truth of the story. And he said, we can never do justice to the glory of the Lord. He said, read the story, Campbell. Go back and read the story. Nothing we do compares to the real story. And we can never do justice to the glory of the Lord. So I went back and read the story. And he had a point. Nothing we do can compare to the actual story. We kind of make it nice and sanitized and sweet. There's some greediness in the story right? Mary and Joseph start off in Nazareth in Galilee, have to make the trek 75 miles, give or take, to Bethlehem, rough terrain. We have this image of Mary on the donkey, but the Bible doesn't say that. She could have been on foot the whole way. They get there, they are desperate for a place to stay, and they cannot find a place to stay. And when they finally find a place, you know, even the nicest place was not particularly clean by our standards, not the kind of place you would want to deliver a baby by our standards. Speaking of which, have you ever witnessed a childbirth? There's a reason we don't try to recreate that in Christmas pageants, all right? I'm just saying. And then the baby is born, and they take this newborn baby and place it in the manger, and we have this you know, image of swaddling clothes and all that kind of stuff. The reality is a manger is a feeding trough made of cold, hard stone. Not the kind of place you would put your newborn, but that's where the baby Jesus goes. And then you jump over to the shepherds in the fields. They're on the night shift. They've been out there all night watching over their flocks. Uh, you ever been in a barn? You ever been on a farm? Again, there's a reason we don't recreate the smell of the, sh of, of the shepherds, right? Just nasty. And there they are, minding their own business, just like they did every other night, until it changes. Until suddenly they see an angel, and it, the glory of the Lord shines around them. Now, again, our little nativity scenes, or you get a poster or a postcard or a Christmas card, you just get these shepherds smiling up at the angel, but that's not what the Scripture says. Scripture says they were terrified, Right? Scared to death. King James says they were sore afraid. Had we written the Bible in the south, we would have said an angel appeared to the shepherds and it scared the bejeebers out of them. Because that's what it did. So my buddy had a point. Nothing we do really compares to the truth of that story. It's a much grittier, in some ways harsher story. And... We can never do justice to the glory of the Lord. I mean, if you want to know about the glory of the Lord, read the Old Testament. Read when Moses went before the Lord, he had to hide his face, he had to cover his eyes. 
He could not stand it. Again, you get a Christmas card today and it's just a bright light. The shepherds are smiling. No, no, no. The glory of the Lord was overwhelming. How do we ever do justice to that? So I read the story. But I also noticed something. Luke spends far less time telling us about the glory of the Lord than he does about the people in the story and how they responded. He could take a long time, I guess, and talk about the glory of the Lord, but he doesn't. Instead, he talks about the shepherds and their very real fear. How they got over that because they really wanted to go and see this baby. How all the people they told were amazed. He talks about Mary and Joseph, this young couple, and how Mary, this young girl, treasures these things and ponders them in her heart. You notice Luke tells us less about the glory of the Lord than he tells us about the things that are in Mary's heart. Why is that? Maybe he just simply didn't have words for the glory of the Lord. Once you get past indescribable, what else are you going to say? Or maybe he really did want us to see the people in the story as real live people that are just like you and just like me. Maybe he wanted us to see ourselves as a young couple or as shepherds in a field. Raymond Brown, New Testament scholar, says this. He says that the shepherds are the forerunners of future believers, that's us, who will glorify God for what they have heard and will praise God for what they have seen. So the shepherds are the forerunners of us, people who will praise God for what we see and hear. Somebody else says that Luke doesn't want us to be amazed by the story's height. Luke rather wants us to on our own, consider the story's depth. So in the midst of the season and all the craziness of all the parties and the packages and all that we have, think about the depth of the story. Not just the Christmas story, but the greater story. The story of a God who spoke the world into being. God who, out of dust, created a man and a woman and breathe into them the very breath of life. Why? Because God wanted a relationship with his own creation. Adam and Eve disobeyed. And you read the remainder of the Old Testament, and it's this story of God again and again, seeking a relationship with his people, wanting to be in this covenantal relationship with his people. Whether it's the covenant with Noah or Abraham or Moses or David, out of this infinite love God has for us, God is continually seeking to be in a relationship, and the people never quite measure up. And so the Bible says, in the fullness of time, God came to earth himself in the form of a precious, tiny, vulnerable baby in a manger, came to be like you and like me, one of us, to say again, I want to be in relationship with you. I love you, and I'm willing to give myself to you 
and give myself for you. You remember what the angel said to Joseph? Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you will call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sin. The same angel says to Mary, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. John's Gospel says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. God took on flesh and blood to show his great love for you and me, to have a relationship with you and with me, to offer life to you and to me. My friend said, read the story. Our Christmas pageants are nothing like the real story because they can't compare with the truth of the story and we can't do justice to the glory of God. And he's right. And he's right. But also, if you read the story, you realize Christmas pageants also are exactly right. They are absolutely spot on because they're about a people like you and like me that God loved so much that he was willing to come to as a baby in a manger, as light and as life, so that he would give his life for us so that we might have life in him. The greatest gift ever given. Amen.